Good afternoon. Welcome to the 100 Pounders Emphasis Workshop. My name is Tara. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hey. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices are turned off now. We remind you that this session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of the session. The topic for this session is 100-pounder emphasis, our pick struck gold. The following is a reading from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. We of Overeaters Anonymous have found in the fellowship a way to recover from the disease of compulsive overeating. After years of guilt over repeated failures to control our eating and our weight, we now have a solution that works. Our solution is a program of recovery, a program of 12 simple steps. By following these steps, thousands of compulsive overeaters have stopped eating compulsively. In OA, we have no program of diets and exercise, no scales, no magic pills. What we do have to offer is far greater than any of these things, a fellowship in which we find and share the healing power of love. Our common bonds are two, the disease of compulsive overeating from which we all have suffered and the solution that we are finding as we live by the principles embodied in these steps. I would like now, now like to introduce our first speaker, Frank from Santa Clara. Hi, my name is Frank, and I'm a compulsive reader. So, um, first of all, to, to show that I have qualified for this particular meeting, my pictures are going around. Um, I, um, I'll give you the summary of the numbers right now. I've been in the OA program for 32 years, actually 30, almost 33 years at the end of August. I will be, I, I'm sorry, I've tried to get closer to the microphone. I've been in the OA program for almost 33 years. At the end of August, it'll be 33 years. I, my top weight before OA was about 430 pounds. I actually came in the doors at 380 pounds. I lost 180 pounds. I got down to my goal weight of 200 pounds within the first year in the program. Stayed near there for a number of years, but then I had a number of years of, of relapse and recovery, relapse and recovery with more weight gain during all the relapses and less weight gain less weight loss during the recovery so that I actually reached a higher top weight during my relapse of 460 pounds and um, I was I, I actually was able to to retire young at uh, in, the, in the year 2000 and my goal in retirement was to lose the weight you know work the program lose the weight and it took until 2006 before I, I got an abstinence that stuck and in, to, in June of 2006 just before the Region 2 convention in Oakland of that year, I was at 403 pounds, and um, on, on June 26, I started my absence. That's the Monday before the convention. Mm-hmm. So I love our two conventions. I've been to every convention since then, and to World Service and uh, everything else I can get to. And I lost all the weight in the past six years. I got down to my goal weight range of about 205 to 2, 215 is my range. 
right at this moment in time, at, I'm at uh, 225, so I'm up a little bit above my range right now, but um, that's from various things in the past six months. And um, with, with God's help, um, perhaps that extra 10 pounds will come off. So I'm down 235 pounds from my top weight is the bottom line. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about, first of all, the consequences, you know, being a double-century loser. Um, and, and I really am a loser. I mean, it's not, it's not anything glorious to, to have gained, you know, 200 excess pounds. That's not a good thing. Um, but the consequences include, you know, all kinds of things like broken furniture that I would sit in, the chairs would break, um, not being able to fit in an airline seat, having to buy two seats in order to fly on an airplane, of course needing a seatbelt extender. Even when I could fit in one seat, I needed a seatbelt extender. Um, you know, kids in gr- grocery stores saying, hey, mommy, look at the fat man. Or, you know, my clothes ripping uh, when I bend over, um, not being able to... There were many years when I couldn't go to movie theaters because I couldn't fit into the seats in the movie theater, so I just didn't go. So the thing about this disease, though, or any, any addiction, really, is that the addiction is about using the substance despite the consequences. So the fact that I had all those consequences didn't stop me from compulsively overeating. I mean, that, that's the thing about the addiction. It's going gonna, it's gonna to do its thing no matter what the consequences are. And that's one reason I kind of considered the bariatric surgery, but I rejected it because all that does is kind of increase the consequences. You know, if you eat too much, you're going to throw up instead of get fat. But, you know, I I would use despite the consequences, so that wasn't going to work for me either. So, um, So I have a disease of compulsive overeating, and the disease tells me all kinds of things. It tells me that I don't have a disease, first of all. That's the first thing the disease tells me. Um, and it tells me that if a little bit is good, then a whole lot's better. I mean, I basically have a disease of more. I, you know, whatever I want, it's more. If a little bit is good, then a whole lot's better, and that's what I go for. Um, I, you know, I've heard a lot of things in this program, and, you know, almost nothing that I'm saying up here is original. It's almost all something I've heard somebody else say, but I heard someone say that, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with food. Normal people don't even have relationships with food. <laughs> And that, that's what it is. And, you know, my disease is all about selfishness and self-centeredness. That, that's what it is, is. I want everything in the world for me now. That's what I wanted. So when I came into this program 32 years ago, God was a big issue for me because I was raised in a traditional church, but I converted to atheism in high school. And um, so I, you know, I didn't want to come into a program to talk about God. In fact, I didn't know that OA talked about God. There was no Internet at that time, so I couldn't go look it up. And um, I went into the first meeting, and they told me that, you know, there was this, I heard all this stuff about God, and I asked them, how can I work this program as an atheist? And they said, well, you can use any higher power you want. You can use the group as the higher power. So I, I started out using that, and um, it's a long story, but I eventually have come up with a higher power that works for me, and it's not anything like the traditional higher power that I rejected. Um, it's more like a, a God within or uh, the Christ within or a higher self or the right brain or intuition. Those are all kind of synonyms that I would, I would have for my higher power. And the main thing I need to know is it's not Frank. The Frank that's standing up here talking to you right now, that's Frank the compulsive overeater. That's Frank whose life is unmanageable. And the higher power is the part of me that knows how to eat, live life well and knows how to eat moderately and that's what I need to turn my will and my life over to the care of, to that higher power within me. Um, so 
in, in, order, in order to do that, I, Frank, have to surrender. And I have to surrender, first of all, that I am a compulsive overeater. And, you know, the word surrender means that you lose, right? I mean, the, 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 the country that surrenders in a war lost the war. But the thing is, surrender brings peace. And that's what surrender does in this program, too. It brings peace. I don't have to be in that war anymore, fighting the food, trying to control the food, trying to control the thing that is uncontrollable. I mean, that's what it means by the first step is I cannot control the food. And if I continue to try to control the food when I can't control it, that's, you know, a disaster is what it is. Um, and, you, you know, the other things I've heard is that um, pain doesn't come from, from the surrender or the acceptance. It's from the resistance. So it's resisting things is what gives me pain. It's not surrendering or accepting things that gives me pain. That gives pain. So if you have this disease and if you surrender that you are a compulsive reader, what's the solution? The solution is a spiritual awakening. And that's what the 12 steps promise. The, the 12 step, in fact, says having had a spiritual awakening as the result of this program, of, this, of these steps. It's not a result, and people often read it as a there, but it's the. It's the result as a spiritual awakening. And it's the spiritual awakening that allows me to not take that first bite one day at a time. You know, that's the first miracle of a spiritual awakening is my abstinence. And, and that comes from working the program, working the, the steps, um, and turning my will and my life over to the care of a higher power. That's where I get the abstinence from. It's not from Frank. If Frank could have done it, he would have done it a long time ago, but, but he can't. So, um, and I, I, there's two things I'd like to read about the spiritual awakening from the AA Big Book, Appendix 2. One of them says that a the spiritual awakening is the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating. So that's, again, saying that the spiritual awakening is that abstinence, the first, the first uh, miracle of the program. The other one that talks about a, a, a person who has spiritual awakening is that he finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. So it's really altering the way that I approach life and the way that I, you know, the way that I interact with people and interact with, with life is what a spiritual awakening is all about. So it, it, it occurs in a lot of areas in my life. I mean, the abstinence is the, is the first big one, you know, the one that was hitting me over the head before to get me come, come into this program. But, you know, anytime I let go of any of my character defects, and, I, you know, honestly, I've never completely let go of any of my character defects, but they have diminished. Anytime that the, the character defects have diminished, that's a spiritual awakening. That's a miracle. That's another miracle of the program. Um, so... And then there are other, th other things, too. Basically, doing anything that I couldn't do before. Like, I, I liked having my bed made every day, but I couldn't make my bed. Well, six years ago, I started making my bed, and I make it every day. Even in a hotel, I'll pull the, the, the covers up, you know? It's, it's become a bit of a compulsive habit now, but that's all right. <laughs> um, another one, for example, is um, driving. Driving brings up a lot of my character defects. And one of the things that really pisses me off is, is drivers who drive aggressively and drive, and drive too fast. Well, guess what? I drove aggressively and I drove too fast. So, you know, I can't really complain about other people when I'm doing the same thing. So one of my spiritual awakenings was to slow down. I first slowed down to just 10 miles over the speed limit, and then it was five miles. And I'm trying to go for the speed limit, but I, I often break that. But, uh, but that's, that's been one of my spiritual awakenings. 
Um, let's see what other spiritual awakenings. So, you know, the one thing that I've come to realize about spiritual awakening is that spiritual awakening is about living in the present moment. Oh, 10 minutes left. I better hurry up. Um, you know, the, we have a slogan, one day at a time. Well, I've become convinced that one day is entirely too long. It's really got to be one moment at a time. And, you know, the, even in the one day at a time, I, I lived the one day at a time program for a long time. I just had the wrong day. It was tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow was when I got to start the diet. Tomorrow I was going to do this. I was going to do that. Whatever it was, it was going to be tomorrow. And, and it's got to turn around and just become today. And it's actually got to turn around and become right now. Um, one of, the, one of the, hearings, the sayings I've heard is that living in the present moment means not having conversations with people who are not in the room. And I, you know, when I'm not living in the present moment, I'll be having conversations with people in the past or people in the future, what I'm going to say and what I should have said. And, and, and you know, if I'm, if, I'm having, if I'm having a spiritual awakening, I won't be doing that. Uh, another one of the sayings I heard that I really like is that forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. You know, whenever I'm holding on to a resentment, I'm wishing that that hadn't happened, whatever it was that I'm resentful about, or any regret that I have for something I've done in the past that I wished I hadn't done. And forgiveness for me is giving up all hope of a better past. I can't go back and change that. So um, besides working the steps and working the program and going to meetings and things like that, I've really come to believe that a big part of my spiritual awakening comes from prayer and meditation. Now, I'll talk about prayer first. I, first of all, I, I like short prayers. I do lots of short prayers. I, you know, I don't like to do long sitting down and praying for five minutes or something like that. And I like to have prayers that I can use on the spur of the moment when needed. So one of the prayers that I've, that I've come to use a, a fair amount, I, I need to remember to use it more often, but it goes like this. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to practice my patience. And that typically comes up like in a situation like a grocery line that's not moving fast enough or traffic on the road or whatever it is. Whenever I can feel that impatience coming up, that's when I say that prayer. And I can apply it to any of my character defects. I can thank God for this opportunity to practice my forgiveness if I'm holding on to a grudge or acceptance. Or I can let go of judgment. That's another prayer that I can make because I make lots of judgments. My, my brain is sitting up here making judgments about everything and everybody. Um, Another prayer I like is that I am not in charge. I mean, I'd like to be in charge. I'd like to control everything in the world, but I'm not. I have to just let go of that. Um, another one that I really like is more God, less Frank, because that, that's going to solve almost all of my problems, getting more of God's will, God's grace in my life, and less of Frank's will and Frank's selfishness and Frank's self-centeredness and, and all of that. And um, you're free to use that prayer yourself. I can use all the prayers I can get, so please keep the words the same there. Um, Another prayer that I, would, that I need to use, I don't use it often enough, is, is to say, God, please make my character defects glaringly obvious before I engage in them. Now, one of the benefits of step six and seven is that they become glaringly obvious to me after I've engaged in them, but that's a little bit late. I need to really be, make them obvious to me before I engage in them, so that, that'll really help a lot. And then the final short prayer that I, that I just not too long ago came up with is relax and trust. I mean, I just have to trust that God's will and God's grace is going to be at work in my life and just relax and let life happen the way that's going to happen. 
Um, now, meditation is something that I, you know, in this 33 years in the program, I've tried to get into meditation. I went to meditation retreats. I went to, you know, meditation classes. And I just never got a daily practice going um, for any significant length of time. But about uh, two years ago, I did take another meditation class, and this time I did all the homework. And the homework was to meditate each day. So for eight weeks of that class, I did a meditation a day. And I've kept it up, not perfectly, but I've kept it up fairly well since then. I've probably meditated five or six times a week, something like that on average, since I took that class two years ago. And that's made a, a big difference in my life. One of the things that meditation really helps me see is how much my mind is always rehearsing and rehashing. I'm either rehearsing what I'm going to do in the future or rehashing what I did in the past. Um, you know, some people have questioned whether or not OA is a mind control cult. Well, the fact is, my mind has controlled me for years. I need to get some control over my mind, and that's what meditation helps me to do. And, you know, the problem, of course, with meditation is thinking. You know, you're sitting there trying to do whatever practice it is, and thoughts start coming up. And it just helps me to remember that, you know, because I can notice those thoughts come up when I'm in meditation, it helps me remember that thinking is the problem. Thinking isn't the solution. You know, I can't outthink this disease. It has the same, uh, it's using the same brain that I'm using. So, you know, thinking isn't, thinking, thinking is not one of the tools of the program. If you read the tools pamphlet, thinking is not one of them there. So, you know, I got to, meditation has really given me an opportunity to, to help to let go of the thinking or at least notice the thinking. That's the thing, you know, thinking can be so automatic that I just do it without even noticing I'm doing it. In meditation, I have the opportunity to notice, that, notice when I'm doing it. Um, so so that's, that's the program that I, um, that, that's the program as I understand it and the way that it's helped me. And, you know, the steps are important, the meetings are important, sponsors are important, all the parts of the program are important. You know, there's nothing that can be really left out. But the thing that I really need to do is to, is to keep God in my program. I mean, because that's, that's where the recovery is going to come from. Like these extra 10 pounds that I've gained in the past six months, you know, I got lots of excuses. I broke my wrist six months ago, so I couldn't do my normal exercises I was doing. And, and then we went on a lot of vacations, and so there was all these restaurants on vacations and things like that. But, you know, it, it wasn't like I was binging or anything. It, you know, on the average, to gain 10 pounds in six months, you eat about 200 extra calories a day that you didn't need. So it's not like I was binging. It was just too much food. So I just need to let go of that, accept it, that that's, what the way to, that's the way it is, and ask for God's help because I can't do it myself. You know, I'm, I'm powerless over food, and my life is unmanageable. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for this program and uh, grateful for all the people that I've come to know in the program over the years. And, uh, the, you know, the only thing that I did right during all those years is I kept coming back. Even during all those years of relapse, I came to the program. I didn't, I didn't come very often. I mean, you know, I would come maybe a couple of times a month or something to my standard Sunday, Saturday morning meeting. But, and when I, when I had abstinence, when I had some recovery, I was coming a lot more often. Notice the correlation there? Come more often, get more recovery. Come less often, have more relapse. And that's the way I've experienced it. But I knew that this program was the solution. I just was not willing to do it, and that's, that's, what, that's, that's what led to my relapse. Well, actually, the other thing that really led to, led to my relapse was ego, and that's one of the things I need help with from God because I can't let go of my ego with my own ego. My, my ego isn't going to let go of itself. I need God's help on that. So... Um, 
that's what I have to say, and thanks for being here. Please help me welcome Lynn from Walnut Creek. Thank you. And um, I actually have two sets of pictures. They're both the same. So it looks like this side of the room will be the pink book and this side the blue book. This is the retired teacher and me uh, getting you all, <laughs> all organized. But that's, um, the pictures are the same in both books. Um, so um, just so I remember, I'm Lynn, compulsive eater, <laughs> compulsive overeater, and food addict. Um, I first found how um, 32 years ago in 1980, I came because my mother uh, was at the time a recovering alcoholic, and somehow I realized one day I did with food what she did with alcohol, the the hiding it, the focus on it, the not being able to stop when it wasn't appropriate, um, all those shameful things. And I went to um, I went to an OA meeting, immediately felt at home. And if that was the only gift I got out of the program, that was enough because, and there have been, of course, millions of other gifts. But I don't know where my thinking was. I knew there were other overweight people. Um, at the time, there weren't as many as there are today, but I certainly wasn't the only one. But I didn't know any other person in the world binged on food the way I did, um, hid the food, did all the shameful things that I did. I, I thought the other people that were overweight maybe ate an extra dessert or something like that. So walking into a meeting and hearing people talk my kind of talk was just enormously comforting to me. Um, I was very enthusiastic about the program, jumped right in, tried really, really hard, um, went to lots of meetings, uh, went to step meetings, went to big book meetings, got a sponsor, would get a little bit of abstinence, but I couldn't ever get consistent abstinence um, for 10 long years. And I actually went into OA weighing maybe like 200 pounds. And in that 10 years, I went up and down to the point where at the end of that, I was weighing 270 pounds. Um, just to get the qualifying out of the way, I stopped weighing at 270 pounds, but that's what I use as my weight. And today, I weigh about half that. Uh, my range is in the 135-pound range. So, and um, you'll hear a little bit more ups and downs in that story. But I haven't, I've been in recovery since January 8th, 2006. I've been in recovery since 1980, but I've been in this abstinence since January 8th, 2006. And in the maintenance uh, range I am now um, for since about August of 2006. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, the only times I actually lost weight during that first 10 years, I went to outside programs, um, pretty much the ones where you just drink liquid and fast and eat nothing else, and the weight does come off. Um, of course, OA did not endorse that in any way. 
But thankfully, they let me keep coming, even though I was doing that. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Nothing else about what a person is doing or not doing with food can prevent someone from being an OA member. I am so grateful because in those 10 years, even though I was using food, I started changing. I started um, getting some self-esteem, getting some self-love. At the time, I was in my first marriage where I was emotionally abused, um, constantly told I was stupid, that I was worthless, that I would never succeed in life without this man. And I learned at some point I colluded with that um, on a subconscious level. I mean, intellectually, I knew I'd been to college. I wasn't that stupid. I had graduated from college. But emotionally, oh, yeah, I'm pretty stupid when he said that. It was my subconscious thought. Um, A lot of that was because I was using food, you know, throughout the marriage. It was almost a 20-year marriage. So whenever something was painful, he also had numerous sexual affairs outside of the marriage. So whenever there was something really painful, I used food. I just ate and pushed it down. And like Frank said, in fact, Frank said a lot of things I've been planning to say. Um, Great minds think alike, I guess. Um, I was always going to change tomorrow. I was always going to become abstinent because I knew from the meetings abstinence meant a food plan where I wasn't abusing food. And I was, I was always going to do it tomorrow, next week, after the, my birthday or whatever. And, of course, that day never, ever came. And so when I do speak, one message I have is it's today. It's this moment. I hope um, no one in here has abused food already today, but it's very possible somebody has. Abstinence can start right now. It doesn't have to start at the beginning of the day. It can start at any moment. And for me, that was so important because I went through pretty much 10 years of it's always going to happen at another time. Um, In 1990, I, on a fluke, went to a How OA meeting. And if you're not familiar with what that is, How itself basically stands for honesty, open-minded, and willingness. But what it really is to me, it's a part of OA for sure, but there is um, a certain food plan that most people follow unless they follow a medical food plan. And there's a formal way of working the steps from the very, very beginning. And I went there, uh, really one night I was kind of bored, wanted to go to a meeting, and someone said, there's a how meeting. I wanted nothing to do with how, but I thought, I'll just go and listen. Well, it was God doing for me what I could not do for myself. I'm not saying that that's the answer for anybody here. In fact, at the time when I started going and was having a lot of success with the abstinence part, um, I'd been going to a lot of general OA meetings, and people followed me in, and it didn't work the same way for them. So I learned really quickly, I know my path. I do not know anybody else's path. There are many, many paths to recovery. So that's an important part of it. But uh, on a healthy food plan, I lost the... At that time, my weight is lower now than it was my original abstinence. Um, I went down to about 
155, actually. It was 20 pounds more than I am now, but it was also 22 years ago, and, and somehow my body was really different because even though I'm 20 pounds less, there are clothes I wore then that I can't wear now, so I don't understand all that. But um, So I lost, at that time, 110 pounds in about six months. I mean, uh, not six months, a year, 13 months. I lost 100 pounds in six months with the fasting, but with actually eating, it was 13 months. And that was in 19, I finished in 1991, and stayed in that recovery for eight years or so, and then started um, fooling around with um, white flour and then with sugar. Um, part of my story is I get frequent migraine headaches, and when I get my when I get migraine headaches, I have to go on a medical weight loss. I mean, medical food plan that includes some foods that I don't eat normally, um, but I have to do that then because I have a lot of nausea and vomiting. Basically, I eat like a pregnant woman who's having morning sickness. And so when I'm in one of those times, I like that food a lot more than I like um, my regular food. So it's hard to go back. And so I didn't go back, and then nothing happened for three months. Then I ate something else. Nothing happened for another three months. And then I actually ate some sugar, and nothing happened. And at, during all this, I wasn't being honest. I was still going to meetings, you know, talking about my abstinence, not saying that I was in any trouble. Because I used to, t- to fool myself and tell myself I wasn't in trouble. I didn't gain a whole lot of weight. And so I didn't realize then that the scale and body size are one measure of recovery, but not of abstinence. So what happened was when I finally really got into the sugar, I couldn't sit there in the meetings and pretend anymore. And so I left the program um, for three or four years. All that is real murky and unclear. Um, And for a part of that time, I didn't take one bite and gain it all back. Um, I actually controlled sugar for a while. I could limit myself to one normal dessert thing a day. But when I finally did come back, I realized I was so obsessive about it. One of my favorite stories was I used to go to this certain place to buy this thing. And one day I went there and it was totally different. And they said, well, corporate changed it. And I went crazy because I couldn't get it anymore. And I searched the internet and I couldn't find anything similar. I would have made it myself. And I was so obsessed and so crazy, and I still thought I was okay. I didn't realize that's not a fun way to live either. So I came back um, January 8th of 2006, weighing, I think, about 170 then. And when I weighed, used to weigh 270, I was okay with weighing 170 if it meant I could eat sugar. But I came back because the rest of my life was falling apart, and I needed the help. And thank God I did. I became abstinent and am in a happy, joyous abstinence that works for me. One message I always want to give, too, when I speak is I really like my food today. I really, really like my abstinence food. 
like I just said, put a little white flour in me, and heaven knows if I put sugar in myself, then I wouldn't like vegetables. I wouldn't like protein and fruit. But if I don't have any of those addictive substances in me, my abstinence tastes really good. I'm a food person. I cannot imagine myself going even for one day if it was food that I didn't like. But when I was into the food, um, when I came in to that first how meeting, I was literally living on sugar, eating it all day. I started with, there's a lot of breakfast foods that have a lot of sugar in them. And I never stopped all day. And I went from doing that to eating weighed and measured meals that are mostly protein and vegetables, some fruit, and a little bit of grain, and, and like it. So that's part of my message. So how do I stay in this recovery now? Because I don't want to go back. I don't want to start fooling myself again. Um, another big thing for me in the last few years is the 10th step. And I, um, it's important to work all the steps, but I think anybody, after they've done the first, second, and third step, anybody I sponsor, I say go right into doing a 10th step, and that's um, taking inventory. I can't even think. I'm so nervous. I know that step backwards and forwards. But it's, look, it's basically looking at myself every day, and I do it through the four Gs, um, uh, just organizing my 10th step. What am I grateful for? What have I done that's good? What have I done that's a glitch? What have I done that is a goal? And I don't, I used to write it and write it at the end of the day. And now I do it three or four times a day, um, just thinking it. And the neat thing about this 10th step for me, it kind of gets me into all the steps. Number one, just saying what I'm grateful for gets me into the 11th step. I'm talking to God and um, being thankful and grateful. And if there's something that's a glitch that I haven't done well, it takes me back to six and seven. I really loved hearing Frank talk about step six and seven because it seems like a lot of time I live in those steps. One of the things that really spoke to me um, way back in the 1980 days <clears throat> is in the big book. It's on page 62. It says, we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, and self-pity. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my God, they know me, especially the hundred forms of fear. For years, I couldn't even remember what it was past that. Um, and it, the fact that the big book was written by an alcoholic man in the 1930s and spoke to me so truthfully as a compulsive overeater at that time in the 1980s and a woman, it helped me think this program has it. Um, I can believe this program, whatever it tells me. Somebody at a retreat I was at a long, long time ago said, that's just proof that somebody on a higher plane, some sort of higher power, helped Bill W. write that book. It couldn't have been written by any just mere, more, mere mortal person. So the other thing that helps me is that... Um, Sometimes it's called the ninth tool. In our meetings, for some reason, we call it the eighth tool. But it's the action plan tool, the new one. 
And that helps me so much because that has taught me to pause many, many times throughout the day. And I personally feel that there's a God within. And the God within cares not only about what I eat, but like, should I go to the library first or should I go um, to the hardware store first? Even mundane things like that. I can pause and ask God for an intuitive feeling. And it's just made things just go so much better for me. Along with that, um, 99.9% of the time, I do recoil from the food as if it were a hot, plane, hot flame, another thing in the big book. And, but if there's that one little thing, um, of all things here, I went into the bathroom that's usually men's and it's now for women. It smelled like a binge food in there to me for some reason. And it didn't call me, thank God. But if a food does start speaking to me in any way, um, my personal God who helps me know when to go to the library will also help me. I get very specific about the food. I used to say, help me not eat. Now I say, I'm thinking about this food right there. And please don't, please make it easy. Remove the compulsion. I make a commitment to my higher power that just for today, I'm not going to eat it. If I can't stand it, I'll eat it tomorrow. But just for today, I won't. And then I heard this at a meeting when I went one time in San Diego. The person said, make it easy. And I thought, well, why not? So I asked my higher power to make it easy. That's essentially saying remove the compulsion. And if there's no part of me that's going to rationalize in any way that I'm actually going to eat it today then the compulsion gets removed and it, it goes away. It's, it's an a integral part of the way I work the program. Let's see, I don't have much time left. Let me see if there's anything else that I haven't said. Um, oh, a long time ago, uh, a sponsor said that I could, t- and when things are going on in life, as we all know, I could turn to food or I could turn to God. And the way I like to talk about it is if Lynn is over here and God is over there and there's a mountain of food in between, I can get through over that mountain or get around the mountain to get to God. But when there's no food, it's a straight shot. And God talks to me through people like you in meetings but, and in the literature through my writing, people on the phone. But God also talks to me through TV shows. He had Paula Dean speak to me one time on TV, answer something. That's kind of bizarre for God to use her. Um, novels, um, movies, places where I'm not looking for God. God is there if the food is not there. But if I get involved with the food in any way, then it's very easy, even after all this recovery, all this time, it's very easy to get myself into a place where I don't hear God. So thank you very much for listening to me. I appreciate every person in this room. You are all an integral part of my recovery. Please welcome Karen from Martinez.
Hi, I'm Karen, a compulsive eater. Uh, I was just recently at a um, party for with a bunch of OA people, and um, one of the things, they, they, I haven't seen them in a while, and all of a sudden they said I was in the hot seat. They were asking me all these questions, and all of a sudden I kind of, all of a sudden I feel like I'm in the hot seat. You know, I'll, um, anyway, um, there's some pictures going around. Um, God speaks to me in a lot of ways. Um, I teach, and one of the things, I, I have a bunch of stuff underneath my sister's house. I went through um, a box I haven't seen since 2003, and I didn't come into program in two th- in, until 2007. But I found a picture of me with a group of kids when I was student teaching, and I had, just to qualify my number, and I'm telling you the story, is because I found a picture of me at my top weight at 403 pounds. And um, I looked at that, and I was um, surprised. I did not take pictures of myself. I knew that I was that heavy, and of course I know. How can you, how can you miss it? I couldn't miss it, but um, that was 403 pounds. And um, I've kind of forgotten, in a, if, I, I've gotten to the point where I've forgotten that I was that heavy for a while. Because I, you know, I have this, I call it amnesia, uh, the truth amnesia. Um, and I forget that I was, I, I can forget I was that heavy. I can even forget that I eat. I can forget anything that's painful. I will conveniently forget because I don't want to know it. Karen doesn't want to know. Anyway, um, I've been in, um, I was 403 at that point. Um, I currently, um, lost just the stats, get it over with, get my mind, get my way to calm down because right now I'm shaking a little bit because I'm nervous. Um, anyway, I got down right now. I'm currently, um, down about 140 pounds, 150 pounds. Um, and so I'm, rem- I'm having to remind my, it, I'm kind of, um, I'm going to be all over the place until I calm myself down because I have a tendency to get very nervous. Um, I, um, one of the, th- um, when I was 403 pounds, I, um, Gotten the I listened to a lot of podcasts, and one of the ones I listened to, um, I, I keep looking at I, I, that picture keeps coming into my mind because um, in one of the podcasts, it, someone said he paid to get into the program, and you know what the sense that we don't pay to get in the program. This is, you know it's donations and all of that stuff, but in a sense, every one of us who walk in the door, especially me, you know because it's my experience. Um, you pay to get in in a way because you um, what it was called what he what he called it was pure, unadulterated, incomprehensible demoralization. That's what he called it. It was an acronym. Paid, pure, unadulterated, incomprehensible demoralization. When I look at that picture, um, I wanted to die at that point in that picture, and it, it go, it's going around in that picture. But I wanted to die at that point. I was ready. I was so demoralized that I was done. I'm like, okay, I'm done with life. I have no hope. I have no faith. And right now I look at my life and I go, I, st- I have a lot of issues that are going on right now, but I still remember. And that picture is God talking to me that no matter what I'm going through right now, I'm not there. I do not feel demoralized anymore. I feel there's so much hope in my life that I've, uh, because I'm working the steps, I have. 
Um, in working the program, I've realized that um, that person in that picture, um, when I hit bottom, I had the pain was getting. Um, there's a saying that says, "When the pain outweighs the pleasure you get from the food, that change will happen." And that picture for me right now represents. It's a reminder that that pain was there. I could see it in the pictures. I can see it in any picture when I was heavy. It's not not the weight. It's the pain, the in, the emotional pain that I was trying to cover up. Um, one of the things um, to go back into my childhood and to how I got there is um, when I was nine years old. I, my weight problem didn't really start until I was nine years old. I come from a family of compulsive eaters. My mom's heavy. My dad's heavy. Everybody's heavy. Um, I was even joking around if we had a dog. You know, there's this joke. We, I, I use humor a lot. When I, when I teach, I use humor when I'm comfortable and when I relax. And there, our family joked, about, joked around about the weight, and I just had this joke popped into my head, and I don't think I'm going to say it. Oh, God, I, don't, I want to, but I'm not going to. Oh, God, maybe. No, I won't. It, um, oh my god um, I'm heavy my mom's heavy my dog's oh I can't do it oh, it's hilarious well anyway it comes down to even the dog's heavy and we did this funny thing with our face to just because we had to make light of it in a sense you know light, light of the heaviness of the weight um, <laughs> okay now I'm laughing and I can actually talk now more, more comfortably um, because we had a joke around about it because there's no way um if I, we didn't make a joke about it, then we would be so sad, and we live in that sadness. Um, when I was nine years old we, is when my problem started. I, um, there was a lot of chaos going on in my family, and um, one of the things about working the steps is I uncovered, I've been uncovering a lot of things. I've been using food to cover up. Food, for me, covered up emotions I did not want to have to deal with. And I've used food from then until now. You know, I still want to use it now, but that, that's beside the point because I don't. It doesn't take away the, the wish and the compulsion. But when I can't deal with emotions and I don't know how to deal with it, I use food. That started when I was nine years old when um, there's a lot of family chaos that happened. And um, I walked in, and one of the things that I remember... And then the reason I'm saying it is there are things that go on in your life as you grow up and, and can trigger things that start. Sometimes you just do it. But for me, I had to uncover a memory going through the steps and getting outside help that I walked in on my mom trying to commit suicide. And it, she may not have seen the, the details of it, but the point of it was is I didn't know how to deal with it. I was nine years old. I, my mom didn't even to this day doesn't even remember that I, I, I saw it. And... I use that food as a way to deal with the emotions, and I also use that as a way to disappear. If I am the good little girl, I don't make waves, I um, disappear into the sidelines, and I use food, strangely enough, the way it even acted as a barrier, then I wouldn't have to, I won't cause anybody problems. If I am a good girl, I do the right thing, exactly as my mom wants it to be, then everything's going to be okay. My, um, I took it on for me as it was my job to be the family storehouse of the pain and the suffering. And I wore it. For me, the weight has always been um, a way of holding that shame and the guilt and the things that were going on, the chaos, the emotions in the family. I carried it. Um, 
uh, and as I've lost the weight, one of the things for me, uh, I've had to learn how to use proper tools to deal with the emotions because that's the pure reason why I use it. That was the beginning. And then um, it spiraled out of control after that. It, it served its purpose for a while. But then when it got to the point of um, it became physically impossible to do things that I wanted to do, that's when it became the pain. I started outweighing it. Um, my childhood was used um, as a way of hiding. I became my mother's best friend um, because if I'm heavy, then I won't date. If I'm heavy, I won't have to face um, friends. I've used that as a barrier um, from the outside world because my mom and I became codependent, and we became very codependent. And um, so it, in the process of losing weight, I've had to pull away from that, pull away from my family. Pull away. In a lot of ways, I've had to do things that means taking care of me. Um, before I came into the program, I kind of came into program in a weird sort of way. I, um, that picture is um, 2003. And I went to the, um, my sis, I, I had made my sister my higher power. Not only my sister, my food. I made different things my higher power outside of myself and outside of my, the real higher power. Um, God, you know, I'll just call him God. I used everything but God to um, fill that emotional hole, numb myself, all those things. Um, in the process, I've had to learn how to deal with that, and I forgot where I was going to go with that. Um, well, anyway, I got into the program in a roundabout sort of way. My sister's friend went into this um, facility for... Um, was it um, addicted teenagers? And so they had these seminars. And it, I kind of, it's a lot like the 12 step programs in a way, but it's in a compacted way. And um, thank you. And I ended up going into the program, and I've learned um, into that program. And the, one of the homework assignments was go to a 12 step program. And everybody in my little group said, took me to an OA meeting. So um, we're going to take you over here. And it, I um, realized I. That's this place. The you, everybody here is my home. I um, a lot of the times I get into these modes where I cry and I want to, the mantra is I want to go home. I want to go home, and it's not my parents' home. It's not my house and my home. And I realized today as I was listening to all the speakers and seeing friends I haven't seen in a long time, here is home. Home is um, OA. It's the friends who I've seen in all the areas I've been and all the places I've gone. That's home. Because one of my heart's desires has been love and acceptance. And this is the place I find it. I find it with you guys. And I did not have that. Um, I did not have a lot of friends and very little friends growing up. And I had a very hard time making friends. It's hard making friends when um, you push them away. I was always negative, sad. Um, I didn't realize it until later in program that I, a lot of the times I was the one who was pushing people away. I made the assumption a lot of the times, even if the people were trying to make friends with me, even when I was heavy, I used my weight as a way to push people away. I made the assumption of the judgment. Yes, there was judgment. There was teasing. There was that. But I made that assumption and I made that Really, I made, I made that connection to everybody is going to feel that way. And I've had to learn to accept myself. And um, 
and I and that's what I found when I came into OA. I found it from my first sponsor. I found it from the people in the meetings. And in 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 all actuality, I was looking for that more than anything else. And this is home. And I will never leave. I will never leave OA. I will never stop going to meetings because this is the way of life that I want to live. Um, one of the things um, I had to look at is I was carrying resentments. And I carry it. I call it. I, I keep saying it. But the weight I was wearing was every little. I, one person asked me outside a program, well, um, how did I do it? And I said, I had to deal with my issues. I, um, I told her that every pound I lost was a pound of resentment, a pound of emotional baggage that I was carrying. I, I couldn't, I'm kind of stuck right now at a current weight. And I think it's because I've had to go back and look at what am I still care, emotional baggage am I still carrying around. And right now I'm in the process of learning what that is. And I know I'm going to get rid of it. But I heard someone say that what a resentment really is and why it's so big in AA, the big book, is um, it kind of goes with um, what I've heard. And it's poison. It, a resentment is poison you take to hurt someone else. And in actuality, you're hurting yourself. I would ta- and I, when I read that, I was laughing because I was this little kid. You don't want to do that? Well, too bad. And I'll just do whatever it was to hurt me, and so la, 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 ha, ha on you. And I remember going back and thinking, and I'm reading that going, how stupid was I at that point? And I'm like, I'm, I'm doing whatever it is to hurt me to show you. Hmm. And that goes with my impulsivity, too. And I had, I had a point where very early on in the program, I, I needed a new car. And in that behavior of my um, character defect of, um, you know, I'm going to hurt you because, you know, yeah, yeah, yada, yada, um, I ended up buying a car that was way too expensive for me. I'm still having to pay off because I was being impulsive because my sister was there at the house. And I'm like, look, I'm going to show her I got this really cool car and it's a convertible and wow. And I didn't realize until I told my sponsor, um, basically it came out that it was because I was trying to show, show, show her up. And um, my household was about competition, who's got what and who's better than the other person. And, and I have to still work on the resentments. And um, the, the miracle of the program is I still have contact with my family, limited now. But I went home and um, I brought my current ex- ex-boyfriend there with me. And my sister is going on and on and on and on and on about this stuff about um, her, you know, boyfriends and this and that, something, and this may not make sense. But what it felt like was that she was trying to show me up in a weird sort of way, and I kind of just laughed at it and went, okay, do whatever you're going to do. And um, one of the things about my program has been that I've had to learn to detach emotionally from every, everybody else's stuff. And I'm really having to look at taking care of myself, what is good for me, and boundaries. Um, one of the things I never learned um, in program, outside of program is how to take care of myself. And I am so grateful. Um, I got taught how to um, do a budget. I got taught how to... Um, I got walked through a kitchen and told me how to, how to cook. And I'm still, to this day, pre-cook my food, bring it to school... I, I get comments on my, on my food all the time about, 
oh, you've got these food, you know, this food. I'm, I'm at school and I go and microwave it. And I've got so every time, buddy, everybody who walks to the teacher's lounge, wow, that looks good. Looks better than mine. And that's what I'm grateful for is I've learned, I've had to learn to take responsibility for my food and for my actions. And my sister, I went to my sister, other sister's house the other day and I made a deal. I had to bring my program with me wherever I go. And I walked over there. I mean, I was over there, and I went to the grocery store, got stuff I needed. And my sister made this comment that you're the only adult in the house. And I went, huh, me, the adult? And it was because I went and did what was necessary to take care of myself. I took care of my food no matter what. And that's what it is. And in one of the podcasts, they said responsibility is your response to God's ability. I can't do that by myself. I do that through the people who are coming to my life to tell me these messages I need to hear, to show and walk me through the things I need to learn how to do. I am 40 years old, and a lot of the times I feel 20. Sometimes at certain points I felt 14 because I have to relearn and be reparented the way I should have been parented the first time especially when I got into a relationship with somebody. I had no clue what I was doing. I um, didn't know how to take responsibility for, didn't think I did. But I, I consider it a miracle right now that um, I got into a relationship and I'm 40 and that was the first time in my life I've actually been in a real, honest-to-goodness relationship that wasn't fantasy or whatever it is. But I, but I had to learn how to stand up for myself, which I wouldn't do. Because a lot of the times I still want to be that little wallflower and not stand up for myself and not make waves. But boy, did I make waves. But in a way that is respectful, is kind, and in a loving way, I stood up for myself. Never once did I degrade or yell or all those things I worried about me doing. Uh-uh. Um, and that's the funny, the grateful thing I have about program. I learned, I learned how to talk to people in a way that's respectful, dignified, and, but it's also standing up for what did I need in my, that relationship. And I, do, I had to learn that with teaching. That first year in program, my first year in program was, a, was the year, first year I got a teaching job. I was so over my head with what I was doing. I did not know how to deal with it. Here is someone going in, having to put boundaries around kids when I couldn't put boundaries around anything in my life. And so I've learned in the course of this, school, this last school year is I put it into practice standing up for boundaries in a way that's responsible and how to be that responsible adult that God wants me to be, how to be that responsible teacher. And, um, and one of the things about wanting to find love and acceptance, and what, um, the year before I was in a um, situation in my job that I couldn't handle, and I had to say a prayer in my head. I don't remember the exact prayer, but it was basically the idea was that God is the only person who needs to love me. These kids can do whatever they're going to do. Thank you. But I have to, God's the only love I need. If I want all the acceptance from anybody else outside of myself, because that's the mark of my disease, is I look for something outside of myself, doesn't care what it is, it could be entertainment, it could be anything, to fill that hole. And to find that love and acceptance. And I, the only time I'm ever going to get it because human beings fail. They're human. That's what makes them human. And I've had to learn that. And I don't need anybody else's love or acceptance except for God. And, and I find that in also with, it, with you guys. Because every time I talk to a newcomer, every time I come up and speak, I'm learning how to um, 
fill that hole, that spiritual hole that I tried to fill with food. And um, what the biggest thing, I, there's a thing I heard that it really hits me is in order to be successful in this program, I've had to have the desire to change. I had to make that decision, decision to change and accept that direction of the sponsor, the literature, whatever it is, and have the discipline to follow it or to carry out that action. And so, and I, my last thing will be is that that, that is what's going to help me keep going in the program and no matter what. And the fun thing is I, um, something I never thought I did, would do. I got a tattoo, which is the funniest thing. And I got, a, um, just to, I put a tattoo on there of a dragonfly and it, it represents to me that no matter how much I fight it, I can't let recovery go because it's permanently attached. <laughs> so no matter what, I'm permanently attached to the program. The meeting is the meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please sign the release form at the podium prior to speaking. We ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. The session will end at 345. I'm Rhonda, compulsive eater. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. Um, the, amazing. Thank you so much because I have paid that price. I have. Um, I had your experience on the airplane where somebody came to me and uh, uh, air flight. I had the experience on the air flight like you did. But I had the experience where they came up and told me, you know, next time you need to buy two chairs. What? I'm that big? Yeah. But I'm here with my daughter, and she's in the chair next to me, and I'm taking part of her chair, not anybody else's. You're, you're too big. You need to buy two chairs next time. And then your daughter would be a third. Completely and totally embarrassed. Another moment of embarrassment on my way into these rooms was um, I was at Disneyland with my family, and we had gone into the haunted house, and we were leaving the haunted house. And on the haunted house, they have these little turnstiles. I got stuck. I have a bad hip from my overweight and and arthritis but I was so embarrassed and then my kids were embarrassed and my husband was probably embarrassed he never said anything but I had to try and get over that turnstile and people were building up behind me demoralization oh yeah um I have had a lot of demoralization, and I've done a lot of self-demoralization. But I thank God that this program is here and that you were here, because without it, there is no way that I would have come down 118 pounds in eight months. 
with experience, strength, and hope. You can do it, too. My name is David. I'm a compulsive reader. Howdy. Uh, just to qualify briefly, my top weight, I got up to 461. I've uh, now lost about 175 pounds. And I, still, and I still have to lose about 75 to 100 pounds. That's just my story. And a lot of relapse, up and down, up and down. Consistent for a few years here and there. Um, and it's just been a real struggle. I fought a tooth and nail ever since I walked into the door. And uh, I fight it on occasion. And, uh, and sometimes I surrender, and that's when the recovery hits. And, you know, there's a reality for people uh, who are 100 or more pounds overweight. And it's almost like having a different eating disorder than everybody else in the fellowship. Um, there's anorexic. There are people who are bulimic. There are lightweights, heavyweights. There are people who have body dysmorphia who think that they're overweight, whatever. But for people who are very, very fat, it's just a different reality. It just is. And we all know that for those of us who have been there. Um, and so for me, I know when I first came into the program and my sponsor said, you have to have eight ounces of nonfat yogurt and a six-ounce apple, I just knew that since my normal breakfast were two apple fritters and a latte, that I was in trouble, you know, and, and that was just the reality for me. Um, and we have a friend of ours, actually, and uh, she is about 250, and her wife is about... Uh, 350 and we've said oftentimes those are like you know each increment of 100 pounds is like another eating disorder so to speak it's just like a different eating disorder and so it's been tough um, but there's a reality to this and and the one thing that I have to realize I went to the relapse and recovery workshop is that it's not a moral issue either this is a disease or it's not a disease and so if you have cancer or if you have some other kind of debilitating disease, um, it's a disease, and that's just what it is. And we have to accept that, I think, rather than thinking we're bad people because our ass doesn't fit in something. And so I went to a meeting the other day, and there was a guy who spoke, and he said, after the meeting, he came up to me, and he said, uh, what's your story? And we talked for a few minutes, and he said, you know, I may not have reached your size, but I have 200 pounds between my ears. And it took every bit of... Um, decency to not say to him, try wearing it on your waist. And it's just a different reality. It's just different. And the best thing we could do is be compassionate with each other, but more than that, be compassionate with ourselves. And that's what best we can do, is just show ourselves compassion on a daily basis. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lee, and obviously I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, I came into the program at 218, and my top weight was about 230, and I'm only five foot tall. So it really showed. I couldn't hide it. Um, you know, my uh, kids were ashamed of me. I was ashamed of me. My husband laughed. Uh, you know, it was pretty bad. 
I had a heart attack. I had diabetes. I had asthma. I have arthritis. And I kept eating. I couldn't fit into the 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 seat at Denny's or IHOP or any of my other favorite restaurants. Uh, and then I came to OA, and I've lost 50 pounds this week. I, as of this week, and some of you already know this, um, I am no longer insulin dependent. My asthma seems to be in remission. We won't know for sure for a while, but I'm no longer having to use one of my um, aerosols. Um, uh, my heart seems to be doing a lot better for some bizarre reason. <laughs> I can fit in. I haven't been to a Denny's in almost a year and a half, so I don't know if I fit into their stupid things. So it works. And I am so grateful. And um, I, uh, I, I couldn't have done it. I absolutely would not have been able to do it without the support of OA the support of my higher power, which I'm just starting to discover because I've only been around for a year and a half and I'm a slow learner. And um, I, uh, I go to three meetings a week. I have a sponsor and I hope it doesn't take me another year and a half to lose 50 pounds, but I'm on the right track. So thank you so much. Good afternoon. My name's Michael, I'm a compulsive overeater, sugar addict. Um, I came into this program February 11th of this year. I uh, got my sponsor in my first day of absence, February 14th. By the grace of God, um, I've been able to maintain that abstinence, and I've lost 55 pounds, uh, excuse me, 65 pounds in that five and a half months. Um, it's a real miracle, first of all. I didn't even know there was such thing as an OA. I came into this program totally by accident. Um, uh, I didn't believe in a higher power when I came in uh, through the 12 steps. I, I got a sponsor who put me through my 12 steps in 22 days, which I needed. Because uh, if it took me six months to do the 12 steps, I wouldn't be here right now. And I definitely wouldn't have a 65-pound weight loss. Um, I choose to call my higher power God, which is an acronym that stands for Grace Offering Dynamo. Um, <laughs> uh, because I couldn't deal with the, the God I grew up with. Um, and with this dynamo, I uh, was able to honestly look at my character-based obstacles, otherwise known as character defects. Um, and it allowed me to take a look at what I was doing to the people I love and to myself. It allowed me to, to find out the reasons why I never fit in. 
I was that person that, that was always on the outside looking in. When the, when the company had the Christmas party, I volunteered for extra work so that I wouldn't have to deal with the Christmas party. Um, and my life has just really changed around 180% in the last five and a half months. Uh, I've gone from a person that was isolated to where I would leave my room once or twice a month, thank you, uh, and basically I'd be to go get groceries. So the only person I'd see all month is, is that clerk. Um, now I, I, I accept any invitation that comes my way. I, I, I now understand why people get together and associate. And I've really, really learned to appreciate having all my brothers and sisters in recovery to give me the support I need. Because I sure couldn't do it. I was waiting to die. I was hopeless, helpless, useless, in a pit of despair. And now I have this hope in my life. Uh, I now have uh, uh, no longer feeling helpless. I have a, a program that I follow and work. And because of the service that I'm allowed to give through this program and that the program has taught me to, to willingly search and do, I no longer feel helpless. So with that, I want to thank all of you for being part of my recovery. And I'm, my time is up, so thank you very much for allowing me to share. That is all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close the session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you've enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table in order to cop, in order, hmm, I can pretend I can read, really. Uh, in order to order copies of this session or any other sessions, all workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands as we close with the OA promise, I put my hands in yours, that you'll find on page 8 of your program. Yeah.